חבר קורדרו is one of the most enthusiastic people in the longevity industry. He is an engineer, economist, futurist, and transhumanist who has worked on different areas including economic development, international relations, Latin America, the Euro- European Union, monetary policy, energy trends, cryonics, and longevity. Mr. Jose Cordero studied at the MIT in Cambridge, USA, where he received his Bachelor's of Science and Master of Science degrees. In mechanical engineering with a minor in economics and languages. His thesis con- consisted of dynamic modeling for NASA Freedom Space Station, the international space station of today. He later studied international economics and comparative politics at George- Georgetown University in Washington, USA, and then obtained his Master's of Business Administration at the Institute, Institute European de Administration d'Affaires in Fontainebleau, France, where he majored in finance and globalization. During his studies, Mr. José Calderón worked with the United Nations Industrial Development Organization in Vienna, Austria, and with the Center of Strategic and international studies in Washington, D.C., USA. Today, he serves as the Vice President of Humanity Plus, a non-profit organization that advocates the ethical use of technology to expand human capacities. The organization hosts the Transvision Conference, a yearly conference that hosts companies that are building medical projects for longevity and other innovative products that will improve humanity. This is just on a nutshell. I encourage you, after our episode, to read his, his last book, La Morata de la Morata, Death to Death. Welcome to the Rise of the Ageless Starman. If you are an investor, a scientist, or an entrepreneur, please join us. As we discuss about today's innovation and tomorrow's creation, together we are here to find out how to make humans creative and vital at any age. Jose, thank you for joining me to my podcast today. Um, you are one of the most uh, enthusiastic people today about longevity and... We can feel your energy in the space, in the social uh, networks. And I'm uh, very happy you came because you, are, um, you have a lot of experience, not only in, in uh, medical science, but in the whole range of technological progress. And it means that your point of view is very important from, from a wide perspective to what's going on. Thank you. Thanks to you. Happy to be here and with all your public. Uh, so I will start by asking you, how did, did you get to the, to the topic of uh, curing death? Is it, was it a will or you saw the opportunity in the technological progress and you said, you know what, if it's possible, let's do it. 
Yeah, it was a slow transition. I have always been a, a futurist. I am an engineer from MIT, and we always talk about the future technologies. But even talking about uh, immortality or um, indefinite lifespans was a bit radical uh, for me. Until about 20 years ago, at the turn of the century, when I heard about Aubrey the Grey began talking about indefinite lifespans and uh, rejuvenation, and uh, so I, I got very, very interested. And at the same time, a few years later, my father died. When he died, uh, you know, death is horrible, especially of your father, your family members. So I began to research more into it. And then I discovered that it was really possible that technology was advancing exponentially, also in biotechnology and medicine, and that we soon should be able to control aging and even better to reverse the aging process. And after that, I became totally devoted, totally convinced about it. And I am uh, following the sector, uh, investing in the sector, writing about the sector, talking about uh, longevity. You're talking about death to death, but many people, even in the longevity space, are having a concern that death has a psychological effect that we need in order to live. And they have a concern that we can't predict what will happen if we will get rid out of it. So what do you have to say to those people? Well, um, the objective is uh, healthy lifestyles so mm -hmm. that you can live as long as you want healthy. If you get bored or if you, you die for another cause, because death will always be there because there will be accidents. There will be some diseases that might kill you quickly and there will be suicides and homicides. So you can never really completely abolish death if, we, if you have accidents, homicides and suicides. But what we propose is to have a healthy lifespan controlling and reversing aging. And this is possible scientifically, we know today. This is real, this is happening. Scientists are working on not only extending lifespans, but rejuvenation, biological rejuvenation. And again, it is optional, it is not mandatory. If some people want to die, they can die. You know, I am not against that. I am not forcing anyone to live indefinitely. If some people want to die, they are free to die, no problem. What we will have for the first time is the possibility to live as long as we want young. And that is the important thing. This is an option. This is not mandatory. Yeah. Well, I wonder if it's like the, story, the uh, biblical story with the apple. If it, like the question should be, if it will be exist, would you take it? Uh, well, in my case, of course, I believe in this strongly. I think there is nothing more beautiful than life. And actually, the right to life is the first human right. But actually, I would say it's not only the first human right. It is the only human right, the only one. Because if you are dead, you have no human rights. So yeah. uh, life is the first human right and the only human right. And it is not the right of the young people. It is the right of everybody, uh, older people, adults, everybody. The right to life, the first and only human right. And because life is good. Yeah. And, and you have a lot of internationally experience. You were born in uh, Venezuela. You, live, you lived and worked in the US, in Spain. 
Um, how, how do you see the mo movement is uh, different from any uh, between the, the the states and which is which is more uh, enthusiastic and uh, progressing society about the uh, longevity yeah yeah well this is happening very fast as I mentioned it was like science fiction 20 years ago but in the last 20 years in fact even less in the last 10 years we know that this has become a possibility and because of researchers in many countries obviously in the USA in Europe but also in Russia China and Japan for example, the Nobel Prize winner in 2012 was given to a Japanese scientist who discovered biological rejuvenation. He discovered that you can reprogram the age of the cell. You can make a cell older or you can make it younger. And he discovered that only four genes control the aging process in the cell of a mouse. Uh, this was science fiction. And that is why it won the Nobel Prize so quickly. The discovery was made in 2006, and Dr. Shinya Yamanaka at the University of Kyoto won the Nobel Prize in only six years, in 2012. But not only in Japan, as I mentioned, there is a lot of research being done in China, in Russia, in Europe, in the USA. For example, a, a friend of mine, in Salk Institute, which is located in La Jolla, San Diego, California. Uh, his name is Juan Carlos Ispizua Belmonte. He's a Spanish scientist who lives in California. He discovered also that we can rejuvenate mice. And he has been able to rejuvenate mice with different treatments like self-reprogramming. And this is very new. This is only a few years back. So many countries are working on this. In fact, I'm so happy that my book, The Death of Death, has come already into languages in my native Spanish and Portuguese. And later this year in uh, Russian, in French, in Chinese, and then next year in uh, German, Italian, and English. Uh, this is great news all over the world. I am truly happy that, again, in China, because China is an important country that is aging very fast. Um, China will experiment a uh, decline in population, a demographic collapse. The population of China is about 1.4 billion people. And some estimates uh, think that the population will decrease by half uh, China might lose 700 million people by the end of the century. So in China, like in Japan, like in Korea, or in Europe, the population of Spain is declining too, or in Italy, or in Germany, or in Russia. Russia also has been having declining population for over 10 years. Most of the advanced countries is either stable or declining demographically. That is why anti-aging is so important and why in Japan they discovered that aging can be controlled, can be reversed, and why the Chinese are doing research and the Koreans and the Russians. This is a global process because uh, aging is the common enemy of humanity, uh, even more, much more so than COVID. Now we talk a lot, a lot about COVID, but COVID is nothing compared to aging. About 55 million people die every year of aging, mostly. 55 million people, this is horrible. And then we have to cure aging 
Of course, we have to cure COVID and we have to cure uh, tuberculosis and uh, malaria and HIV, AIDS. We have to cure all of those. But percentage-wise, 90% of the people in the advanced countries, in the developed world, die of aging. Aging is the number one enemy. Aging is the number one disease. Aging is the mother of all diseases. Aging is the common enemy of humanity. Yeah, and, and first of all, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Russia. I see a lot of increasement in my podcast uh, audience from Russia. I think there is a lot of uh, interest over there. And about China, I just, yeah, uh, you mentioned it too. I, I, in my last episode, I, I talked to Dr. Brian Kennedy. He was the Buck uh, Institute CEO and president. And now he works in Singapore and he has experience in China itself. Um, and yeah, he says, says it too. The China is very, has a big problem of, of aging population. And maybe it won't be, aging is not infec- infections like uh, COVID-19 that you can, uh, but, but like that you can separate people and maybe you can control it. But it, it develops naturally and the diseases that, that are um, a symptoms of aging will will uh, the cost to um, treat it uh, will be much higher than the COVID-19 today I think and we really need to it's a wake-up call that we don't want to start solve it when we have uh, a white population that suffers from it we need to do it now absolutely and again Aging is the mother of all diseases and the number one public enemy, uh, the enemy of all of humanity together. And uh, also COVID-19 depends on aging. It affects mostly older people. So if we can stop aging at age 30, there should be basically no people dying because of COVID and no people dying because of cancer and no people dying because of cardiovascular problems and no people dying because of Alzheimer's or Parkinson's because people who are 20 or 30 don't really get those diseases which are related to aging. Aging is the number one killer in the world. That is why we have to focus on aging. And you mentioned Brian Kennedy, who is also a friend, who is now, in fact, in Singapore. And he moved to Singapore from California because he sees a very different mentality in Asia, in China, in Singapore, in Japan, in Korea. They look at aging very differently. And also they think it is a disease. In fact, he's trying to get the government of Singapore approve aging as a disease. This is an important uh, legal concept and medical concept because now aging is not considered a disease. And because of that, there is less investment, there is less research, there are less treatments, and doctors cannot recommend uh, therapies because aging is still not 
considered a disease. But maybe Singapore very soon might be the first nation to consider aging as a disease, or China, or Australia. This is moving fast. So I'm very convinced that at least one country in the next five years will declare aging as a disease, the mother of all diseases. Usually democracy are slower with the bureaucracy. So do you think this will have an effect on which country will be the first to declare aging as a disease? Yeah, uh, again, I don't think it is important if a country is more or less democratic. People die in all countries and people die because they are old in all countries. Even in the poorest countries, uh, in the very poorest countries, also in Africa, for example, uh, more than 60% die of age-related diseases. People don't die because of malaria or because of uh, COVID or because of terrorism. Percentage-wise, more than of aging. People die more of aging than anything else combined. Okay, so uh, as I mentioned, I think it is possible that Singapore, um, China, also Australia, which is a very democratic country, also even the U.S., there are also many groups that believe that aging should be considered in Spain. Myself, now in Spain, I am also working to declare aging as a disease. Anyway, it doesn't worry me. It is a matter of time. And uh, we should do another program, at least in five years, to celebrate which was the number, the number one country to declare aging as a disease. But then it will be very quick. We will have number one and number two and number three and number four and number five very quickly because yeah. this, this will spread quickly. People will realize that we have to defeat aging. We have to cure aging. We have to reverse aging. And we know it is scientifically possible thanks to of medicine 2012 and many other people, not just him, that have been able to rejuvenate cells. We know we can rejuvenate cells. This is not theory. This is not science fiction. This is being done scientifically today at the cellular level. Soon it will be done at the organ level and then eventually at the organism level because we know it is possible. When people actually tell me that immortality is impossible, I say, why is it impossible when it already happens in life? It already happens in nature as it is. There are immortal cells. Uh, I also talk about this a lot, cancer cells. Cancer cells are mutated cells that do not age anymore. Cancer cells are considered biologically immortal. That is their name. Cancer cells are biologically immortal. They do not age. That doesn't mean that they don't die. If you kill them, they die, but they do not age. And not only cancer cells, also germ cells. And you have germ cells that make sperm, spermatozoids. I have germ cells. Women have sperm cells that make eggs. All of animals, we have um, germ cells that are also biologically immortal. They do not age. They could live indefinitely. So we have good cells that are biologically immortal, bad cells that are biologically immortal, and even whole organisms like hydras and medusas and other organisms, they are also considered biologically immortal. So we know immortality is possible 
because it already happens. It exists in nature. Immortality already exists. And we well, only need to understand. And you, you target to biological right now, immortality, yeah? Yes, obviously there are more types. I also say we will have a, a software or computational immortality. We will be able to read our minds, to copy our thoughts, to upload our brains into the cloud, into the internet. That would give us another type of immortality, in fact. How do you think this will feel like to upload your identity? Well, what, what will I feel? It's a little bit uh, abstract concept. Yeah, well, we don't know, uh, but it is uh, scientifically possible. In fact, uh, famous entrepreneur Elon Musk, he's working on a company called Neuralink, the links to the neuron to the cloud, and he's doing right now experiments with animals. And in 2021, next year, he will be doing experiments with humans to connect our brains to the internet. Uh, so we will actually have all the knowledge of the world in our brain connected to internet continuously. Um, you will have Wikipedia in your brain. You will have Google in your brain. So I don't know how it will feel, but also I don't remember how it was before computers or how it was before mobile phones or how it was before airplanes or before telephones or before uh, uh, many other technologies. We get accustomed to technologies and these, these technologies are for the improvement of humanity. Yeah, I, it's not only like there's a, um, it's not only the knowledge, like uh, skills. Like, I mean, if you can download the, uh, I know it's very advanced, yes. And uh, let's cue let's first the biological uh, problem. But like, if you can uh, download skills, like play like uh, Messi or Ronaldo, it will be weird, but... Uh, yeah, it is like in the movie Matrix. In Matrix, you can uh, download or upload, if you want to call it that way, old knowledge. You can learn karate, uh, uploading uh, information and read books and uh, communicate much faster. I believe, um, in fact, we will have telepathy very soon. In 10, 20 years at the latest, we will communicate telepathically uh, from my brain to your brain. It will be very fast very efficient communication because right now it is very slow. Talking is a very slow way of communicating. It's very inefficient, slow and narrow bandwidth, very narrow bandwidth. When I communicate my thoughts from my brain to your brain, this uh, message could take one second. It would go completely from my brain to your brain. This is telepathy that also we believe is possible. But anyway, this is on the non-biological side. Yeah. At the biological level, again, it is important that we will reverse aging. Yeah, and the conference, Madrid Vision, it's about the biological aging, yeah, treatments. Yeah, every year I organize a big event in Madrid where I am currently living, and I call this Transvision. Uh, it's based on the transhumanist ideas. I am also the vice president of Humanity Plus, 
the vice chair of the World Transhumanist Association. And I organized an event about that here. I have had many top scientists and um, also robots. Uh, uh, Sofia, the humanoid robot, he also came to Spain last year and she spoke in the four official languages of Spain that no Spanish person speaks. Uh, she spoke in Catalan, in Basque, in Galician, and in Castilian. And really no human speaks those languages. And also she spoke in Chinese, in Russian, and in English. So for a robot, it's very easy to speak in any yeah. language. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so we have uh, sessions on artificial intelligence, on robotics, on space travel, especially 2020 is the year of Mars. Uh, already three missions uh, going to Mars this summer. And then um, longevity, rejuvenation, biotechnology, and medicine. So we cover all the future technologies. And um, I hope you can come. Uh, just Google Transvision Madrid. And um, it's going to be a big event. Some of the speakers invited uh, this year are again... Uh, Aubrey de Grey, that talks about longevity, and Ray Kurzweil, mm -hmm. uh, who is a very good friend from MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and he's also the founder of Singularity University, and currently, he's also director of engineering at Google in Silicon Valley. He will also talk about his new book, which is called The Singularities Nearer. It is <laughs> nearer, closer and closer. Ray is talking about the year 2045 as a shifting point where technological innovation will move so fast that it will be hard to track or even understand what's going on. Some say 2029 it will be the shifting point. But with what you see today, are we really moving fast as expected to reach this uh, prediction? Uh, well, actually, Ray uh, has been always talking consistently about two dates. He gives two dates. One is 2029, and the other one is 2045 for different uh, happenings, different achievements, accomplishments. In 2029, we should pass the Alan Turing test. This is a test uh, created by Alan Turing, the British scientist on artificial intelligence, that he said that uh, very soon at some point close in the future, you will not be able to know if you are talking to a human or to a machine. And uh, Ray Kurzweil says that that will happen by 2029. And I am totally convinced it might happen even before, even before, maybe only in five years. We already have Siri, uh, from uh, Apple and Cortana from Microsoft and also Google and uh, Amazon Alexa. They have all of these projects of artificial intelligence and they are improving exponentially. This is the important idea. They are not changing linearly. They are improving exponentially. That, that is why I think it is truly possible that by 2029, we will pass the Alan Turing test and you will not know if you are talking to a machine or to a human. In fact, do you know I am a real human? I may not be human, okay? I know, um, well, I can feel by the way you, um, you respond to my, uh, my context. 
Okay, but um, anyway, uh, I try also to be funny, to be interesting, but uh, uh, in 2029, artificial intelligence might also be funny and very interesting. Uh, anyway, that's the first day, 2029. The yeah. second date is 2045, when Ray Kurzweil says we will reach the singularity, the technological singularity, which is the time when uh, artificial intelligence in the cloud will be more intelligent than all of humanity combined. And I think this will happen again, in fact, probably earlier, as he, he's writing in his book that is coming out very soon, The Singularity is Nearer, uh, which is based on his previous bestseller of 2005, which was called The Singularity is Near in 2005. Mm -hmm. And he defended again the same two dates, 2029 for passing the Alan Turing test, and 2045 for reaching the technological singularity. So the dates are the same. He has maintained them, but he's even more optimistic because of this exponential change. In fact, there is acceleration of the acceleration. Yeah. As we saw yeah. uh, with Google DeepMind, when it beat uh, the top uh, champions in Go, in the Chinese, uh, well, Asian, Japanese, Korean game, Go, it was expected to be later, and it was sooner than expected, and faster and faster. And Go, artificial intelligence, actually learns just by playing. You don't even have to program it. Just let it play, and it learns by itself. So this is incredible. So those are the two dates. I repeat, 2029, Alan Turing test, 2045, the singularity. Additionally, there will be two other happenings at the same times, according to Ray Kurzweil, related to our biology, to our uh, uh, hardware side. Uh, the first one will be longevity escape velocity, or the singularity of Methuselah, the Methuselarity, by 2029 also. And then eventually, by 2045, we will rich immortality. We will have lived long enough to live forever with rejuvenation technologies. Because by 2029, with longevity scale velocity, we could still age. But for every year we live, we still gain one year, but aging. By 2045, we will rejuvenate. So those are the two dates. He has been very straightforward. He has maintained his dates. And I think they will happen to be at that time or earlier, earlier. So read the book, The Singularity is Nearer, and come to Madrid to talk to him and to see what he's writing, what he's saying, and why this will happen and why life will be better. Uh, transhumanists, like myself, we talk about three beautiful things. Uh, longer life, uh, better intelligence, and more happiness. These are the goals of transhumanism, super longevity, super intelligence, and super happiness. Yeah, I, well, I hope, <laughs> I hope this vision uh, will come through, and uh, I hope I can come to Spain. We have to ask, because of the coronavirus days, um, there is a plan B. It will be online if, uh, if some, something will uh, happen. Yeah, actually, uh, in fact, uh, we are planning to change the dates, uh, not certain yet because no one knows what might happen with COVID-19, uh, but we are um, getting a new date last week of May or first week of June. 
because we want to have a meet, a physical meeting, a physical gathering. Yeah. Additionally, because it will be in the most famous scientific place in Spain, which is called Ateneo, the Athenium, like from Athens, yeah. the Ateneo of Madrid, which is celebrating 200 years. So it is the bicentennial. And for the bicentennial of this most illustrious place in Madrid, we want to talk about the next 20 years, not 200 years, uh, because even 20 years into the future is too, too much, too, too far. We might have passed Alan Turing test and we might be close to the singularity. So we will talk about the past 200 years and talk about the next 20 years. That is the idea. In this beautiful place, a famous Ateneo de Madrid. Wow. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Uh, I wish everything would go right. Um, wh which companies are going to, uh, can we see there? Uh, yeah, well, uh, in fact, in Spain, there are some companies working on many of these areas. There is even a Hyperloop company, uh, which is this famous idea also by Elon Musk to connect uh, cities on underground, uh, underground vacuum uh, tubes, mm -hmm. vacuum tunnels. So we have uh, everything from a, a Hyperloop to a space uh, colonization. I, I just did a Mars simulation to celebrate the trips to Mars. And there is a company doing a, a space suit and planning space colonies on Mars, uh, based here in Spain. We will have some of that. We will have companies that measure telomeres. Spain is one of the leading countries in the world on telomeres and telomeras. And, uh, Madrid, yeah. The, the yeah, the most, the most important company, I would say, today in the world to measure the telomeres is a Madrid-based company, company called Life Length. Okay. It has an English name, Life Length, but it is a Spanish company. And uh, anyway, we'll have uh, other uh, companies, IT, uh, computers, 3D printers, drones, uh, so that people can experience also these ideas, uh, that they are not just theory, but it is also practical. And we will have speakers from many of these uh, enterprises, these organizations, also startups, many startups, because these ideas begin with young people with crazy ideas, the crazy ones. Yeah, and and people that think that they have enough time to <laughs> to make it. Maybe if people are seeing the acceleration of the innovation and that accomplishing a product is faster process than it used to be, so maybe startups will not be only for young people. Yeah, of course, of course, for everybody. And I don't discriminate against anyone. And as I said, youth should be for everybody, not only for the young people. Yeah. Uh, there is a very old Spanish saying that, that, that goes like, youth is wasted on the young. <laughs> so yeah. everybody should be young and should not waste their youth uh, if we have more experience, if we have more knowledge. Yeah. Uh, even the crazy ones. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, uh, you know, uh, we, we talked about, again, the technology that is uh, accelerating and progressing. And the mind, when I talk, when I talk to uh, neuroscientists, they say the mind is the most complex organ. And some say it, it, will, it could never be built 
or or uh, we cannot imitate it somehow. But wh- wh- what makes you believe that we can uh, like uh, recreate minds and and uh, dying neurons? Yeah, actually, um, the brain is the most complex structure in the known universe. We don't know of any other structure, any other organ more complex than the human brain today. Maybe tomorrow we find a Martian that has a bigger brain, more complex than our brain. But until we find that Martian or ET extraterrestrial, this little thing, our brain is the most complex structure in the known universe. However, it is not that complex. It really is not that complex. And the human brain evolved from the brain of other animals, of other uh, apes, other simians. Um, Our brain, for example, is uh, three times bigger than the brain of a chimpanzee. And the brain of a chimpanzee is bigger than the brain of other older species and so on and so forth. So our brain evolved from lower brains, from smaller brains, from simpler brains, and our brain is still evolving. Uh, Now, uh, Elon Musk and other people are talking about an exocortex, connecting the neocortex, which is the major center of human intelligence, into an exo, external cortex, from the neocortex to the exocortex, and this will give us super intelligence. Mm -hmm. Uh, Therefore, we will increase our brain capacity we will increase our memory. We will increase our speed uh, in the brain because our brain is very slow. The brain waves, alpha, gamma, beta, mu waves, etc., they are very slow. They function at one hertz, one revolution per second, 10 hertz, even very fast, 100 hertz, while electronics works in gigahertz. So computers are millions of times faster than our brains. So imagine when we connect our brains to the internet, to the network, we will have very fast brains, very easily connected that exchange information very fast and basically with unlimited memory, unlimited memory. This is important because we have a limited memory and we forget things. Mm -hmm. Imagine if you could always remember everything somewhere in your brain or in the cloud, in the exocortex, and then you could Google it. You could Google in your brain what you did last year, what you were wearing two years ago, where you were eating, which movie you saw, who was your friend uh, 10 years ago, et cetera, et cetera. So all of this will be possible because we will, we will be enhancing our brains biologically and non-biologically, which is growing faster because the non-biological part grows, grows faster and changes faster. The biological part takes very long to change, to evolve. It might take millions of years for our biology to change but not for electronics, not for the non-biological part. Yeah, and like, can electronics like be intervention that is not needed like uh, without a biological intervi- intervention and can do the work that some uh, biological treatment has done only with electricity? Uh, Yes, uh, we will design some intelligent systems that evolve. 
uh, as I mentioned, uh, Google, DeepMind, Go, Player, learns by itself. You don't have to teach it, it learns by itself. Actually, like we humans do, it learns by playing, it, it learns by trial and error. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, many of these ideas are also in a book uh, by my friend Ray Kurzweil, uh, who wrote How to Create a Mind. And in his book, How to Create a Mind, that I helped to translate into Spanish, and I wrote the prologue of the Spanish edition, uh, he talks about this, how to create a brain and therefore create a mind, how it will be faster, more intelligent, more communicative and uh, interactive than the biological side, because biology has many, many limitations and we can improve, we can upgrade our biology. Okay, and you are involved in uh, cryonics? Yes, um, actually, uh, I also believe in cryonics, but this is plan B. Plan yeah. A is not to die, but if you die, you have plan B, which is cryonics suspension. Uh, this technique was basically invented in the 1960s, so there have been over half a century of people who are uh, cryonically suspended. Uh, it is not frozen and it is not even vitrified. I like to say cryonically suspended because they are like in suspended animation. They are at very low temperature, the temperature of liquid nitrogen, which is minus 196 degrees Celsius, negative below zero. And at that temperature, basically there is no biological movement. There is no chemical interaction. So you can stay there indefinitely forever at the same condition. Anyway, so um, we know that this works because there are many humans who were actually cryonically suspended in uh, in vitro fertilization, uh, either the sperm, the eggs, or the embryos are cryonically suspended. They are uh, frozen in a way, one part of them, or the embryo or the sperm, the eggs, and then they are brought back to life. So we know it works. And I think in the oldest case, an embryo was frozen for almost 30 years, 30 years be before it was brought back to life. And these people actually are alive today. They grew up, even though they were frozen when they were very small humans, very, very small. Yeah. So we know that this works th theoretically. And actually I have uh, suspended the first Spanish person in the peninsula in, in, in the Iberian Peninsula in 2016. Right now, we have uh, three people from Spain who, who are cryonically suspended, and in many other countries. Uh, overall, in the world, there are probably around 500 people already who are cryonically suspended, and there are hundreds, hundreds, actually thousands more, at least 3,000 more waiting to be cryonically suspended when the time comes for them. Yeah, and and again, like I can imagine it with organs, but that it can work. But again, with the mind and memories, what what are the experts saying about the mind and memory? How how can you uh, store it and and rejuvenate it after you? Like it's a little bit uh, like. Like you return to life and and you remember everything. This is how it's supposed to be. You have the same identity. Um, well, you will have basically the last identity you had. 
well, first of all, all of that is in my book, The Death of Death. Yes, so you have yes. to read my book, The I Death of Death. I have to read and the audience has to read. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right now it's in five languages, as I said, Spanish, Portuguese, uh, French, Russian and Chinese, and coming soon in German, Italian, and English. Anyway, uh, I'll give you the answer. Um, I, when you go to sleep every night, mm -hmm. basically you are in a different state. So when you wake up the following day, you probably still have your memories, even though you are even not the same person. Some of your neurons uh, are not the same. Some of your cells are not the same, but you still have the memories. So just like you go to sleep and wake up and you have your memories, it can be done also in a longer time frame. Uh, experiments have been done with a, a worms, for example. There are some tiny, tiny worms called C. elegans, and these are um, typical uh, animals for biology, uh, experimental model animals, and scientists actually have trained them with the Pavlov reflex. If you know the Pavlov reflex, um, Pavlov was a Russian scientist that trained dogs that when there was a bell ringing, a bell, they would begin to salivate because they were expecting food. Mm. They brought food with the bell, so they learned that they were trained, they were conditioned. This is the Pavlov reflex. So the same was done with uh, the worms. The worms were trained with a special odor which was actually repugnant to them, was a repugnant odor, but this meant there was food. Even though it was a bad smell, it was food. So the little worms, they mm -hmm. probably closed their nose and they went to the bad smell and they ate. They were trained about this. Then they were frozen yeah. and then they were reanimated. This can be done uh, with a small animals, as I said, like these worms, or with a sperm, or with eggs, or with embryos. We know this works. Anyway, so the worms were reanimated, and then they were given this same horrible smell. And what do you think the worms did? They went rushing after this smell to have breakfast. Wow, this and is impressive. Not only, yes, not only did they remember that, but also they had sex later, and wow. they had little worms. Yeah. So they were in reproductive mode, even though they had been frozen for many warm lives. During many warm equivalent lives, they were frozen, but they still had appetite. They liked their food. They remembered their food and they were in perfect sexual condition after being frozen. Okay. So this we know this works even with complete small animals. This is uh, surprising for me. Like, uh, I wouldn't believe if you wouldn't tell me that it's possible. Well, this was done, I think, uh, yeah, in 2015 or 2016. This is all new because, you know, it, it, there is no manual for this. You learn these things by doing them. Two friends of mine, uh, Natasha Vita Moore in the USA at the Alcor Life Extension Foundation where they do cryonic suspension and... Uh, another friend in Spain, in Seville, Daniel Barranco, they got together and they began doing experiments with these worms, C. elegans, and then uh, it was already known that they could be revived. Uh, one of the small animals that can be revived after being frozen for many lives. 
And then they just train them with the Pavlov reflex and they remember the Pavlov reflex. Anyway, again, it also happens with humans, but you might say a human embryo doesn't have many memories, but it doesn't matter. It was a human that was frozen and then it was reanimated and he grew up to be a normal person. That's amazing. I, I could... Yeah, but this is, only, this is only plan B. Remember, plan A is to yeah. stay alive and actually, we might need this only for 10 years, until 2029 or 2030, when we reach longevity, escape velocity, or demethucellarity, if we reach very good health. And then in the worst case, by 2045, when we will have rejuvenation technologies, which is important, rejuvenation technologies. It doesn't matter if you are 80 years old, 90 years old, if you make it by 2045, you can be younger. In fact, that is my plan. Not only do I plan to be alive in 2045, I plan to be younger than I am today. Younger, because that is the objective rejuvenation. That is plan A. But in the in-between, especially the coming decade, maybe even a bit longer, we need plan B for the people who die. We need cryonics. This was the first episode with Jose Cordero. Stay tuned to next week as we keep the, our discussion. There's a lot more to learn and be inspired of.